it's time for another episode of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes. Here's your host, Terrence McCauley. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes, right here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. My guest today is Dan Copeland. He was, like uh, yours truly, born and raised in New York City. He is an award-winning film professional, and his latest picture, Eight Wins with Robert Davey, is available on several streaming services. He is also a distant relative of Samuel Clemens, otherwise known as Mark Twain. Dan, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Terrence. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for that. Uh, why, why don't you tell us a little bit about Eight Winds? Right. Well, it's, um, I've always enjoyed movies that are like where the plot is like a chess game. So I've always enjoyed spy stories and detective stories. Mm-hmm. And um, with the 2016 election, um, I had reached a point where I decided I had to make a film. I hadn't made one for myself in a while I've been working for other people mm-hmm. uh, so um i've always liked that genre i didn't have a lot of money so when i wrote the script i realized it had constraints on it as to what i could do right uh, but um it was also apparent to me that there are issues with the russian uh intervention in american politics as well as american life mm-hmm. and, uh, Thought that would be a good uh, good story plot device. So um, the band began to do research, and living in in Los Angeles, uh, we have been affected by time from time to time with uh, drought issues. So the idea of of water rights came to play, and also um, you know, the great film Chinatown is about California's water rights. Right. So, um, it was just fun to do, and um, so I banged it out. I wrote the script in about uh, eight, nine weeks, and then we started shooting right away. That's fantastic. And, and and that's what drew me to your project. It's because there's a lot of authors out there who have self-published in the past and then gone on to find uh, mainstream deals. And there are other people who are going to be just happy self-publishing now. And you pretty much did that on your own, that, that same kind of journey with eight wins, didn't you? I mean, you had the benefit of knowing the industry that you were getting into, but you had this idea, you wrote it, and then you set about uh, producing it. What was that journey and and putting it on film? What was that journey like for you? Well, this is my fifth feature film that I've produced. Um, So I kind of knew how I had to, how to put it together. it was great. It was great. I mean, you know, it was everything you, you, uh, I don't get to make that many movies. I mean, it's been a good 10, 15 years between films that I've written making them. So, um, it was great. Um, I, you know, it was, the uh, production went smoothly. Uh, it wasn't, uh, the classic production in the sense that we shot every day. I knew it was going to be more of a guerrilla style filmmaking experience, more documentarian influence, realism. Um, So, you know, we shot from about July until Labor Day. Mm -hmm. And then I had to go back and do some pickup shots and recast and reshoot um, one of the major roles about a a year later. 
Um, but I was very happy with the way things went along. It was a smooth shoot. There were no instances. We uh, we stole a chase scene and a and a protest. Uh, which oh, was okay. Um, there was a climactic chase scene at the end of the film, and uh, we just uh, went down to the May Day march and started filming one side of the chase um, <laughs> with my character in the chase. And then when right. I cast the, the, the villain, we shot his side of the chase um, like three months later in the same area. Um, so, you know, over the years, uh, I began making movies when I was 14, when I was still in high school. Right. So I've kind of forgotten more about how to make a film than most people ever learn. Um, and, uh, you know, the crew size was minimal. It was usually just three or four people um, and an actor. Um, and so we did it. And, uh, you know, I guess the most important lesson I've learned over the years um, is, you know, not to box yourself into a situation where you need permission to do the right. thing that you want to get the green light. Obviously, they're, you know, in the more bureaucratic aspects of the movie business, that's what you're waiting for. But right. uh, virtually all of the films that I've made have made because I said, I'm, I'm going to go do it. And I did it. Yeah. And you had the skills to be able to do it as well, which is uh, is always important. It's, it's one thing to have a dream, but it's something quite different to execute it and, and to bring it to fruition. And you, you, the, the movie is also good because it shows that you don't have to have a really huge budget in order to put something on film that is compelling and worth the time of the audience. Right. Yeah, yeah I really did get a lot out of that. I've always believed that creativity is a foil for budget limitations. So, um, you know, uh, going in, I knew I didn't have a lot of money, but I still knew I could make what I thought would be a good film because I just knew how to make what I had work for me in the best possible way. Right, right, exactly. And it's, um, Ed, now I know that you're a film professional. Have you, and besides screenwriting, have you ever been compelled to try to do any kind of short story writing or novel writing, anything I, in that uh, frame? I did actually self-publish a novel called Let It Be. Um, it's, uh, it's out there now. Um, it's, it was the, going to be the basis for my next film, mm -hmm. uh, but I was working on that for 20 years and still didn't get a yes. And, oh, uh, wow. So I decided to adapt the screenplay into the novel to see if we could get some more traction that way. And um, it got some very nice you know, uh, reviews. And um, it still would like to be my next film, but uh, you know, I did do I did write the novel, um, and then I did do do a, a music video a while back of me singing um, a version of uh, Wayfaring Stranger, okay, which was a song that, that really connected to me. And uh, you know, I also uh, as as an, in an effort to become a better filmmaker, I've always I studied acting. I think that acting helps you become a better writer, better director. Mm -hmm. So um, I am a card-carrying member of the Screen Actors Guild, and one day I'll act my age. <laughs> now, you've written screenplays and you turned one into a novel. Did, what were the 
So what were some of the things that you liked about screenwriting and what were some of the things you found that you liked about uh, crafting a novel from your work? Right. Well, I'm not really a literature person. I don't consider mm -hmm. myself to be the great, you know, novelist. Um, uh, so writing the novel for me was a challenge and normally I've dedicated most of my effort into making movies. So I always think in terms of shots and visuals. And, right. You know, when you're going into a novel, it doesn't really make for enough material necessarily. So um, I, um, yeah, I, uh, you know, went into it and said, I'm going to do the best I can. Um, the focus of the novel is slightly more on one character, whereas the focus of the screenplay was slightly more on another character. The thing about, I liked about the novel was were, were some tangents that I could go off on. And, and in a sense, I wrote a prequel story to the characters as well. Mm. I became a chapter um, and that by itself actually could make another movie. Um, so that may be the next script that I write. Yeah. Yeah, I would imagine that's the case. It's it's funny how you can be doing a a novel and then you think it's about one thing and then how it evolves into something else. Whereas with the screenplay, I would imagine I've I've only written a couple of them, none from books, but and I'm no screenwriter by any means. But it uh, it is definitely a def different type of of discipline it takes to do something like that. Right. Well, you know, again, so most of the screen that I wrote, or several of them at least, were stories that I wanted to direct. So my writing was never really writing to sell necessarily, mm -hmm. but more writing to say, okay, this is going to be the blueprint for my movie. Right. Um, so when I write, even as a screenplay writer, I'm writing with that ultimate uh, aim in mind that this, you know, I'm, I'm investing my heart and soul and my artistic being into the work because I know that's what I want to make as opposed right. to just writing a script to sell it to somebody else, which I wouldn't say no to, but <laughs> we're not there yet. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, we should all be that, <laughs> that lucky. Uh, you also, we, right before we started recording, you were, I, I saw that you were um, involved in a fantastic endeavor called the Lost City of Cecil B. DeMille, which I happened to have seen long before I, I, you and I talked about you coming on the podcast. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Because I, I was, I found that a fascinating documentary. Yeah, it's a, it's a great film. Um, I was really proud and honored to have been part of it. Um, Peter Brosnan uh, was a friend of mine when I first moved to Los Angeles from New York. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we were buddies for a long time while I was going through law school. And uh, so one day his house burned down and his friend took him out to get him drunk. And he's sitting in a bar and his friend says to him, you know, somewhere in the middle of central California, there are ancient Egyptian sphinxes buried in the sand. And my friend Peter, in his drunken awareness, said, well, let's go find them, dig them up, and make a movie about it. And the problem was, it took him 35 years to do it. Right. Um, he had to deal with the permitting and uh, permitting 
environmental issues and archaeological right. issues and what he thought would be a weekend with a shovel in the desert turned out to be this epic battle against governments and uh, other adversaries to uh, go see if those sphinxes are really there. And right. um, they are, and um, they had the 100th anniversary of the opening of the DeMille version, uh, the 1923 version of the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. uh, early October, so I was able to go back up there uh, to Guadalupe in the Santa Maria area, and um, I actually finally saw the uh, the full size sphinxes that they reassembled from what they pulled out of the sand, and it, it was really really cool. Wow, that's fantastic, and it, it's great to be able to talk about that and your experience with that endeavor. And then also with making your own movie with uh, Eight Winds, because it, it, you in both of those you mentioned that you would be constrained by other uh, you were constrained by other things if you were part of a larger bureaucratic film system to make Eight Winds, and the same uh, challenges faced the directors and and the people who were trying to do the Lost City of Cecil B. DeMille try to find that again. So. It's it's interesting that you've uh, got you've had two interesting projects at least that have to swim in those same waters. Indeed. Well, you know, um, Lossy happened pretty much by a stroke of luck. As you've seen the film, you know it was completely fortuitous. Uh, the, the the story behind uh, Lost City always generated a lot of press. It always captures people's imagination. So the LA Times did a story and they put it on the front page and this wonderful philanthropist out of Austin read the article and said, hey, how much do you need? And wrote a check for the whole thing. So wow, that doesn't happen often. Mm -mm. It happened. Yeah, a lot of people think, oh, you have a movie idea. People come flocking to help you make it. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah, the case. yeah. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah, that's why it's remarkable when it does happen. Indeed. Indeed. It really is. Yeah. Now, when you were making Eight Wins, what was it like dealing with somebody who has been around the movie business as long as you and uh, longer than a lot of other people? He's had a long career, uh, Robert Davey. Right. Robert's a great guy. Um, he was really enthusiastic. He loved the script. He loved the character. Um, originally, I, I thought we might be able to do it in one day. And he said, no, 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 no. I want to do two days on this. So he, you know, he was really enthusiastic and gave a hundred percent, even though it was a, we were like a, a nano budget production, he still showed up and did his best. Um, you know, over the years, I've made a bunch of films and been able to work with a lot of uh, well-known actors, including Oscar winners. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, Robert was just superb. Uh, really liked the script uh, liked the character he showed up um and uh he, you know he's helped promote the film from time to time as well uh, so i really think he's very proud of his performance in it i think it's a character that gave him the opportunity to show a different side of his acting that people don't normally see mm -hmm. so i know that he was very proud of his work and he should be it was a really good job Right. Yeah, it was. And it was, I enjoyed it because also too, it, you know, sometimes a smaller budget film 
will look like a smaller budget film in terms of editing or shots that linger just a half a second too long or whatever. And, and in this movie, that didn't happen. It, it, it was clear that it wasn't a huge Tom Cruise multi-million dollar, half a billion dollar film, but the, the editing was crisp, the writing was crisp, the acting was great. You know, it was it showed that you don't have to have a huge budget, it's nice to have it, but to make a quality art product. And I think that goes for a movie and that goes for the same as a book as well. Right, well, again, it's like I said, if you understand how to do it, you learn all the rules and you learn mm -hmm. how to break them. And you know how you can make a movie with less than you know than you want. I mean, the problems that you face on a small budget film are not that dissimilar from the problems that you're going to face on a Tom Cruise film. There right. are always issues that come up. There are always obstacles. There are um, you know safety issues and production issues. The concepts are identical, although the scale may be different. So you know. It just it's the nature of the beast and once you understand the nature of the beast then uh i was able to uh you know to manipulate the beast and uh you know know its strengths and weaknesses and build a project around what the strengths were and uh you know i personally you know as i'm getting younger prefer prefer stories that are more character driven as opposed right. to adrenaline driven which, you know, when I was older, that was the, the thing that, that I found enticing. But now, um, you know, I like spy stories that aren't about chase necessarily, but about how the, the plot affects the character. And that's one of the things I wanted to do in Eight Winds was to, to have the love interest and the health issues <clears throat> as a foil. Um, you know, how does a person who's hunting down Russian, you know, gangsters deal with what happens when a loved one becomes ill. Mm -hmm. Got those parallels. I mean, I I like the, uh, I always like the Wallander series where at the end he's going, he's getting dementia. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I really like the Clive Owen TV series, the guy who is, who's um, losing his sight, the BBB series. Right, yes. Um, so that type of foil, I thought was really interesting. That was one, and you know, you don't need budget for that. What you need is good scripts and good actors, and you know, a sense of, of drama. So I was able to to do that with Eight Wins. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. In many ways, this movie that you did reminded me a little bit of Bridge of Spies that uh, Tom Hanks was in several years ago, and it's directed by Steven Spielberg. And a lot of people didn't like it because they said, oh, well, it's not like Indiana Jones or one of his bigger movies, but it wasn't trying to be. It was, it, it actually, I think it actually went back to his roots as a great TV director uh, right. because some of those scenes that are in that film, there's not a lot of action, but the acting in it and the way he gets stuff out of it, it, it showed why he's really good. It's not just because of Indiana Jones running away from a boulder, it's how he can frame a scene. And like you just said, you don't need to have a big budget to do that. Right, right. Yeah, I like Bridge of Spies. And the other film that, that I really liked was the uh, more recent version of Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spy with Gary Oldman. That is like, for me, the pinnacle of, of spy stories. Um, 
you know, that is just a perfect film. I watched that over and over again. Yeah, yeah, that was really great. And I'm, I'm always sad that they haven't done Smiley's People yet, but I keep hoping they will. Though I think Gary Oldman is ready to retire. And after the career he's had, who could blame him? But uh, yeah, Tinker Taylor also has a, a, great, a great ensemble cast and some really talented people. Right. And I, I enjoyed that as well. So if people want to enjoy uh, Eight Wins, how can they see it? I know it's uh, it's not, not in the theaters right now, but how can they see it? Well, it's streaming pretty much everywhere except Netflix. We're on Amazon, uh, iTunes, Google Play, uh, and most of the other platforms. Um, so, uh, you know, it's a few computer clicks away. From exactly. Computer yeah, computer. yeah. Huh? A couple of taps of remotes and uh, yeah. or, or the mouse, and there it is, right on your screen. Right, right, yeah. And it's also yeah. available for uh, on DVD from through Amazon and um, a random media direct. Fantastic. Now we, I know you've said that you've got a lot of other projects that you are uh, looking to bring to light. What is the best way people can keep track of those things and reach out to you if they have any questions? Well, I'm on most of the anti-social media, so um, <laughs> I am on uh, on LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook. Um, Eight Winds has a Facebook page, um, but you can follow me there, and uh, I'm usually uh, pretty active about announcing things as they evolve. So, fantastic! Well, that's a great place for people to uh, go look you up, and thank you so much again, Dan, for taking the time to talk to us today. Thanks for having me, Terrence. It was great to meet you. Great meeting you. And thank you, everyone, for joining us for another edition of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes right here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Take care. We'll see you next time, everybody. Be well. You have been listening to Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes with host Terrence McCauley on Authors on the Air Global Radio Network.